Hello and welcome to episode 189 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is one of the biggest guests I've ever had in over five years of doing Mark and Me. I'm thrilled to announce that I'm joined by Daredevil himself, Charlie Cox. Yes, this is absolutely huge for me and a dream come true. We get to sit down and talk all about his career to date, what got him into acting, his love for Daredevil and so much more. And yes, we get to talk all about his brand new series, Kin, which is absolutely incredible. And that interview will be coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But before that, let's touch base and talk about the last episode. On episode 188, I was joined by the feeder frontman, Grant Nicholas. This was my most downloaded episode of all time for one single day. Yes, it was absolutely mind-blowing and thank you so much to everyone that tuned in and listened. It was a great response and I'm so chuffed that everyone has fallen in love and reminisced about Feeder just as much as I did when I did the interview. Grant was an incredible guest and I really hope he comes on the show again in the very near future. But today is huge. Today is Charlie Cox and this interview will not disappoint. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get straight to it. So here's me and Charlie Cox talking all things TV, film and so much more. So Charlie, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Charlie, what I want to do today is take it right back to the start. I want to know when you were growing up, at what age you started to fall in love with film? Was it a certain film you watched at home? Was it something at the cinema? But at that moment that you thought, oh my God, I absolutely love film and cinema. Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, I don't know if I've ever been asked that. I, um, you know, I, I kind of love movies as a kid, but I don't know that, I don't know that I loved movies any more than any other kid. You know, children like all the Disney films, as, as did I. I do remember that um, at a quite a young age, my parents introduced me to the Norman Wisdom films. Do you know them? I, I remember them being on in the house, but I would never really, they didn't grasp me. I wasn't kind of into yeah, them. Yeah, but... you know, they were black and white yeah. kind of physical comedy movies with, with uh, Norman Wisdom. Yeah. You know, and I, I just thought they were amazing. I absolutely loved them. And I, and, and I know that, you know, none of, my, none of my friends were watching that them. So I used to watch, you know, uh, God, I'm trying to remember the names now. The Square Peg. Um, um, I'm not sure I can remember any of that other name. I remember The Square Peg. but Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to watch Up in the Air, I think was one. That, um, I remember that. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, I used to, I, I, I love those, um, those movies. Um and then I think I started collecting films, uh, initially VHSs, in my late teens. That's when I started to really get into movies and, and, and cinema history and started watching older movies. And, you know, I remember um, Virgin, Virgin Records. Megastore. Virgin Megastore. Yeah, that takes me back. Yeah, Virgin Megastore started doing five... VHS is for 20 quid. I remember these um, days. That was amazing. Yeah, and I would go and I would save up 20 quid and then I'd go and buy five VHSs and then watch them, you know. And I started, you know, and started making a collection, which I was really proud of, you know. Um, so were you were you watching these films, obviously they're a bit different to the black and white films that you're watching earlier on, but I suppose this is all the classics that lay in the foundation. So I suppose you bought all I remember five for twenty and five for thirty, you were getting all the classics that you now Yeah, exactly. You go yeah, back they weren't modern, they weren't new films or anything like that. So no. you know, I remember my first I feel like I remember one of my first five for uh five for twenty or five for thirty, whatever it was, 
included the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, wow. Um, on the waterfront. Um, I think, I think a, it, there was a relatively new film because I feel like Memento was in there. And that oh my blew God. my mind when I yeah. saw Memento for the first time. It was my late teens that I started to really kind of love, have a passion for film and started to kind of think about it in a slightly different way. And when did it become a reality for you that you could then obviously be on the other side of a camera? Was it early TV work or was it auditions or was it something that your parents supported you in or how did it come about? So I did a theatre at school. Lovely. And by the time I was leaving school, you know, it, it had been suggested to me that I could consider this as a career um, by various different people. My, my, my parents were incredibly supportive, which actually is not particularly common. No. Um, and I have friends who I had friends at the time who were desperate to go to drama school and stuff. And they weren't their parents were pretty adamant that that was not going to happen. My mum and dad were weren't that way. They were like, you've got to do what you want to do. Um, That's really good. School. That's really huh? good. That's really good. I speak to a yeah. lot of actors and directors Amazing. and a lot of Very people lucky. are like, can you get I'm, I'm also job? the youngest <laughs> of. Uh, yeah, I'm the youngest of five. So I think when it got to me, they were just like, just do what you want. The cheapest um, option. Yeah, yeah. They and then when I was in the process, I was working um, as a photographer's assistant in London, just making money and trying to and uh, funding my drama school applications. Um, and um, it was during that time that I met someone who got me an audition and I didn't get it, but I got introduced to an agent who's still my agent, Lindy King, still my agent. Oh, nice. um, and she got me and another audition for a film. So my first job, my first job was a movie with tom hardy and gael garcia Bernal. wow um, playing tom's brother um, that's pretty cool yeah it was wicked man that's a hell of a debut like hey here's tom yeah. hardy You're like okay this will do <laughs> yeah 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 and obviously a lot of the listeners will go absolutely mental at me today if i don't sit and talk to you about daredevil that that character must have been something that just took over your life for so many years that you could have probably never anticipated blowing up to that scale where it was one of the Netflix's most successful shows. You made that character your own and it just, the reviews, I've never seen anyone that doesn't like it. That's yeah, it's, it's been a hell of a journey and it's, you know, as it's, um, it's, it's kind of as, as of late, as we all know now, it's kind of been resurrected somewhat. And so it's kind of feels like it's, it's, it's having, the beginning of a new life um yeah you know I, I i did a i did a movie in um malta in 2009 i think or two yeah about 2009 and it was the movie we were shooting was we were wet and cold and we shot through the night and i remember i did an interview in the for some reason i did an interview in the middle of the night once they had, <laughs> they had like people on set but we were all shooting night shoots so they had to if they wanted to come on set they had to come in the night time and um one of my mates had been cast as a as a superhero i forget who which i, I think it might have been may have been andrew garfield in spider-man or it might have right. been it might have been um I can't remember the years now. I'm getting a bit confused, but some one of them had. And, and I was asked that question. It's like, do you want to ever be a, a superhero? Do you want to play a superhero? Which is, I thought was an interesting question, quite, quite random. But, but as I was answering it, I was realizing that I think in, so in, 20, in, 20, in 2010, um, I was approaching 30. So I remember thinking, oh, it's probably that ship has probably sailed. I, I, don't, I don't think if I, 
if I haven't done it now, I'm probably not going to do that. Um, so when when how when wrong I, were you? I know, I'm so <laughs> mad. And so when uh, when I got the audition for Daredevil, which was not until 2013, um, it was a, it was like such a kind of bizarre moment that I was like, oh wow, okay, I'm I, there are there is an opportunity here. Um, I didn't know anything about Daredevil. I didn't even know he was a superhero. I thought it was just, uh, I didn't know. I'm, I, I, this, is probably, this is well documented now because I've spoken about it a lot, but I, I, they didn't mention in the, in the breakdown for the first audition, um, they didn't mention it that he was visually impaired. And so I didn't do that in the first audition. Wow. <laughs> and, you st- and you still got it. <laughs> well, I came back for a second audition. Yeah. And, by, and then they were like, by the way, you know he's blind, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like that moment they turned around to you and they gave you the green light and said, you've got the role. You must have been like, okay, uh, this is on a hell of a new scale to me. So it was actually, it was a quite a, an uncomfortable moment because I was contracted. I was, I'd done a pilot for a network TV, for a network channel. And we... And then I, during that time, I'd auditioned for Daredevil because as an actor, you never know what's going to happen. You just got to keep putting yourself out there. Yeah. But realistically, I knew that if I got Daredevil, I could only do it if the if the this network show released me. If they didn't yeah. if they didn't get to you know. Um, so there was a period of time where I'd been told I would I was going to be off. I'd been offered Daredevil, but but there was about a month, maybe a bit longer, where. I wasn't, I hadn't been released and there was oh, a chance no. that, and, and, and not to speak badly of this other show, it no. just wasn't that, you know, it wasn't the same. No. Um, and so there was a quite a nervy month where I was like, oh, please let them, come on, please let this, you know, not work out. So very grateful for that. And when this character is so identifiable with you and it stays as such a part of you, does it make you feel under pressure and that the next decision for your next role is even harder because that view of taking on another project to follow that legacy of the character, it must be quite tough. It's like, everyone's going to be looking at you like, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. I get, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I try not to think about that, you know, you, cause I don't know, you could drive yourself crazy. If you start, if you start uh, when one of the things I feel like I've, learn as an actor is that this to make a decent tv show or film there are so many variables there's so many elements that have to all come together and just work perfectly together um you know you can you can shoot a great script you can um you can have an incredible product producer and director and all the cast members are fantastic and then if the editor doesn't really do a good job, then the whole thing falls apart, you know? Yeah. So you learn not to try and put too many eggs in your basket. I mean, obviously you get excited about jobs, you get excited about working on something, you, you, you're able to recognize, you know, the, the people's influence who have done great things in the past or have, have you know, people who you admire greatly. But until you see it, and people see it. You just have no idea. And that was very true with Daredevil. Like I, I find it very hard to judge anything I'm in because you're just you're hypercritical, not just of yourself but also of the of the project. 
Um, they sent me an early, they sent me a cut of the first two episodes. Yeah. I watched them at home. I was jet lagged. I was on a small little, I think I watched it on, on an iPad mini. Um, it had, you know, it had writing across it. Yeah. Um, couldn't hear it brilliantly. And I watched it and was like, okay, all right. It's all right. You know, but I wasn't, I wasn't blown away by it. And so when we went into, I thought it was fine. I thought it was interesting, but I, I also was like, I'm not trying, I'm going to try not to judge this. He's just got no idea. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't until we went to, we started doing press for it. I'd been, I'd been in uh, South America doing some press. I'd flown back to New York and then we went, we had a full two day junket in Los Angeles. And I was coupled with Rosario Dawson. We were doing interviews together. And I'd done ju- loads of junkets in the past. And as the, as the journalists were coming in one by one, their enthusiasm and their excitement and, <laughs> and um, how um, kind of kind they were about the show, it started to dawn on me. I was like, oh, wow, maybe this is good. People are really responding to it. Um, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty cool moment. And obviously now you've done the most recent role in Kin and getting to work with Peter McKenna, who in my opinion is one of the best writers in the business. Oh, um, so cool. yeah, ab- I agree. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, you've got that element of the crime story, but you've also got the family drama. Um, what was it that attracted you to wanting to be involved in Kin? Because obviously you must have had a lot of opportunities, but this is on a smaller scale. It's not, you know, Netflix and Marvel, but it's mm. a completely different tone. So a couple of things that happened during lockdown. Um, uh, we had a, our, my, my wife and I had our best friends. They were in lockdown with us because right. we live outside of New York city and they live in the city and they just wanted to get out. They've got kids. They wanted to get out. And so we had them at our little, we have a little cottage outside of New York and they were living with us. So every night we would cook a meal and watch something. Um, and we were watching loads of stuff. Um, but one of the things we watched was Normal People. And um, I really, really responded to that show. I thought it was tremendous. And yeah. I just loved how simple it was in so many ways and how it wasn't an extravagant story. There weren't any special effects or explosions and, you know, guns and stuff like that. And I just was, I, I was really moved by it. Um, I was due to do a show in New York over the summer of 2020. That, I, I, my wife, who's a producer, asked me to read something that she was, her company were considering producing. Right. And that was Kin. Oh, nice. And I read it and immediately felt kind of um, envious that I wasn't going to do that. And that I was, and the show I was doing was not something actually that I, and I didn't know at the time, really, it was kind of, but having watched Normal People and then reading Kin, and obviously I know there's an Irish connection there. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much that played into it, but I read Kin and I was like, this is the kind of stuff I want to be doing. So, you know, and that's because Peter's writing is so, is so um, exceptional and moving and, and, and Unbelievable. all of those things. The, uh, the final part of it, which is, was also a factor was this is quite a scary time as you're, I'm sure you'll remember. Yeah. Um, and because my wife was producing it, this was an opportunity for us to pack up together and with our children and, and go to Ireland and stay together. Whereas normally, you know, when I get a job that's abroad, I have to go and do it. And, you know, the kids have to stay in school and blah, blah, blah. But it was lockdown. So we could just all go together and keep the family together. And that obviously has become very important in uh, with, with everything that's happened in the last couple of years. 
and getting into the role of Micron doing your research, did you do much research on Dublin and Ireland as a place? Because I've never been there, but it looks incredible. And, to you know, you took the whole family there and basically got to be a resident and live there for a while. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Well, sadly, we didn't get to experience Dublin at its greatest because no. it was in lockdown. Um, but but you're right about it being an, a, a beautiful city, and also the um, not just in the city centre, but also <clears throat> you know it's right on the coast. And the one thing we could do in lockdown was we could drive. Um, you were allowed to drive a five kilometre radius, and we were able to drive to the coast and swim in the Irish Sea. And I did that almost every day. Like, that sounds I just beautiful. Fell in love with doing that, and I took the kids, and that was that was um, amazing. Um, in terms of research, I did a lot of research about about organized crime in Dublin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, quote unquote, Irish mafia and stuff, which was quite eye opening and and um, and uh, disconcerting um, that that is a you know, that they that, that there is a there is um, a lot of um, criminal activity and um in Dublin, as there are in many cities, but you know, it's 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 rife there as well. And the character that I love so much because of his kind of balance. So he's got this vulnerable side, but he's also got this real dark side. And I wondered how you kind of went into that character with that balance, because it's not easy to portray, but you did it so well. Yeah, th thanks. Um, um, I there was a there was a podcast I listened to about this Irish gangster who was kind of known to be pretty cold-blooded right. um, and some of his alleged victims and the way in which their demise came about was pretty brutal um, but in this podcast um, he you know they'd done some research on this guy and they'd also discovered he had a passion for sailing and he was very close to his children um, and he, he was, he'd been known in, in his friend circles to be a, a very kind, sweet guy. And it's just, it just struck me as such a fascinating, bizarre paradox. Um, and it just made me think about, you know, in, if you live that life and you're in that world, you, you, you really have to kind of compartmentalize. Um, and you have to see your, your, your business as business and only business and, and, it's very hard for us to kind of really comprehend that as us being kind of people who, who live quote unquote normal lives. Um, uh, but I thought, I did think it was an interesting, it could be an interesting basis for a character, someone who, who is so desperate to have a relationship with his daughter and he's so desperate to, to um, kind of just get back to normal in terms of living his life and, and, you know, so happy to be out of, prison and just kind of just kind of enjoy his life basically with his family um and at the same time what we are what we see and what we learn about him is that he's capable of pretty serious brutality and and it's it's uncomfortable to to I, what i hoped for is that it, you what you feel as an audience is that you feel uncomfortable because you you can't help but root for him and you don't really know yeah. why no, sums up perfectly. And I hope that people listening right now are like, I want to watch it now from describing yeah, it because it's exactly that. And something I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, um, there will be people listening today that want to become an actor or are at film school or wanting to get into film school. 
what advice do you give to those people that are trying to make a name for themselves and stand out in a crowd that's so hard to break through in? Mm, it's a great question. I always, I, whenever I'm asked this, and I always, I always, there's one thing I always say, which is kind of slightly tongue in cheek, but it's also not, which is get really lucky, you know, like uh, not particularly helpful advice, but it's worth being, you know, it's worth being realistic about it. It's a lot of luck. It's being in the right place at the right time on yeah. multiple occasions. Um, the I, you know, this idea that people have in their head that I had in my head about, you know, you get one role in a film and suddenly it just doors start opening. And the next thing you know, you're on private jets and signing autographs and, you know, you've become a huge movie star. That's not what happens. It's not what happens to anyone I know, certainly. Um, you know, you get a job and, you, you know, you audition and audition, audition, and you don't get any work and you don't get any work. And then you get something and you do that job and then you're back to the drawing board. And it, that and doesn't feel like that's made any difference. But over time, you get slightly bigger roles and you get a couple of bigger breaks and just keep plugging away. And it's um, it requires a huge amount of faith and a huge amount of patience. That isn't particularly helpful. Um, and other than maybe to just remind people that it is a process and, and that you have to, you know, you have to um, be, you just have, you know, to, if try not to, to lose the faith at any point. The, um, the other thing I will say is, is I, you, you, I work really hard. Yeah. So when I get an audition, um, and I've always done this and it's, I, 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 I kind of suffer a little bit from dyslexia. I have a small amount of dyslexia, which means that, and if, which means that when I'm, if I'm reading out loud and I'm a nervous, I'm liable to make mistakes. Yeah. And which I've always thought has really served me because I've met, I never, ever, ever, I never, ever take my, my audition sides into an audition ever. I always, I always learn them and I always have from day one. I've always, always, and I'm, I'm surprised at how um, uncommon that was. I always see people with their, with their sides. And it can be difficult when you're, when you've, if you're getting a lot of auditions day after day, which doesn't often happen to be honest, but if it that does happen, <laughs> it can be difficult. But for me, it was just, I, I didn't have a choice. I had to learn the lines so that I could go in. I had to know them so well so that I could be in an audition. And even when I'm nervous, I don't, I don't, I know them so well that I'm not going to yeah. mess it up, basically. So I always think that served me quite well. And my very final question for you today is I ask everyone that comes on the podcast to choose the outro piece of music, and it can be any song in the entire world that means something to you. I put you on the spot. It isn't kind because you only get one choice. What was it? What did you call it? The what? The what? The outro piece of music. So you get to choose one piece of music. It can be by any band. It can be any song in the entire world. But as this interview is wrapped up and the podcast finishes, one piece of music is played and you get to choose it. So every oh, guest cool. that comes on, there's 184 guests have been on, everyone gets to choose a different song. So what's a song that means a lot to you that when I put you on the spot and ask you today would be the perfect outro music for Mark and Me with Charlie Cox? But does it, so is it my favorite? Are you asking me my I, I'd like it to be one of your favorite songs or something that means a lot to you that when I ask you what song would you like it to be? It's the one that comes. Okay, to your so it doesn't have to be tonally appropriate. No, not at all. Okay. Um, okay, great. Oh wow. Um, I'm gonna say. I can hear your brain ticking from here. Yeah. <laughs> You've got it down to five in your head now. Yeah, I've got a couple. I mean, I've got a couple. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to say um, Matthew and the Atlas is the name of the band. This is good because I've not heard them. So it's, I love so it when Matt, I discover the name a new band. band. Is called Matthew and the Atlas, and the song is Within the Rose. Awesome. Uh, it's certainly one of my favorite songs of all time. And for anyone who then wants to go and do a little digging, what they will also discover is I have done, uh, I became a big fan of theirs and I, I met Matthew a couple of times and I ended up doing two music videos with them. Oh, nice. If you go on, on I didn't do Within the Rose. That was the song that kind of yeah. got me into them. But um, but I did this on YouTube. There was two, mu- the only two music videos I've ever done and they've both been for Matthew. That's amazing. Uh, I want to say a massive thanks for coming on the show today. You're Time is really appreciated, and I can't wait for people to see. Oh, Ken thanks, man. Likewise, Mark. It was great chatting to you. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Enjoy your week. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the incredible Charlie Cox. Like I said at the start of today's interview, this is a dream come true for me. It was so good to sit down and talk with Charlie, and what a great guy he is. So open, so honest, and such a delight to be around. As you heard on today's episode, we got to talk all about the brand new series Kin, which is streaming exclusively on Sundance Now. This is an add-on subscription channel that you can find on Amazon Prime, and all eight episodes from the full season is available right now, and I've been lucky enough to see it, and honestly, it's absolutely awesome, and Charlie Cox, as expected, steals the show and is phenomenal. Also, if you've enjoyed today's episode, I have a website, markandme.com, On there, there's links to my Facebook, my Instagram, my email, and my Twitter page. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, why not retweet it, share it on your Instagram stories, share it on Facebook, or drop me an email and let me know your thoughts. I read and reply to every single message that I receive, and I'm very proud of that. It's the best way to get these episodes advertised and out there, so if you've really enjoyed today's episode, please share it across your networks because it really does make a difference. And if you've really enjoyed today's episode, why not support me on my Patreon page? The link is available on markandme.com and for as little as £1 per month, you're guaranteed six episodes of the Mark and Me podcast. Not only that, from this month, you're going to get an exclusive episode each and every month just for my Patreons. And thanks to the sponsors of the show, the incredible Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts, Vice Press posters, and the awesome Richer Sounds, I have prizes available to give to you guys to say thank you for supporting the Mark and Me podcast. I want to say again a massive thank you for Charlie for coming on the show today. It's been a dream come true, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it just as much as me. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. So until then, keep yourself safe, look after yourself, and I'll speak to you all very soon.
Give me back what's mine I wouldn't want you to Try to pull me through Oh, oh, oh. 